Hey everyone, welcome to the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. Today I had some time off. I uh, usually have class between 2 and 5 p.m. on Wednesdays of the Theory of International Relations, but today the professor called in sick, and uh, usually that's, that's not a big deal, right? I, everybody likes when uh, unexpected class cancellations come about, but uh, turns out, uh, well, it's. I hope it's going to be okay, but this guy's, this guy's more than 70 years old. So, um, he was born in Berlin directly after the war, so he's uh, lots of stories to tell. It's quite interesting, actually. People uh, in my class will complain that the course is pretty boring. Uh, that's really not the case. The course material can be kind of dry, but it is fascinating stuff. Um, and his stories and uh, and knowledge are, well, inexhaustible, but... It's, I think it's just the way that it's packaged, you know, if you've ever had a really old professor, college professor, trying to teach something in the humanities, you know what I mean. Imagine having someone who's 70 years old trying to teach you classic uh, Greek philosophy. It can get kind of dry. It's just, this is the, it's just not a conducive package to deliver to uh, a room full of, of 20-some-year-olds who have to sit there for three hours. But anyway, um, so I had the, the day off, so I, I took the opportunity to record this little intro. Um, next week, I have the entire week off of classes, so I will actually be spending that week in Israel. Surprise, surprise. So uh, two days in Jerusalem, basically, and one day in um, in Tel Aviv, one and a half day in Tel Aviv, so that'll be cool, and uh, you can expect to hear a little bit about that when I come back from that episode, B. that'll be, yeah, I might even um, talk about it uh, recording on Friday, uh, maybe at the airport or something, uh, should be putting out an episode the Friday that I fly back, so I hope that happens, I don't know, I got a schedule to keep, but no one's really holding me account accountable for that. So I've also been thinking of possible uh, uh, content to put out uh, topics that I can do on my own as uh, as short, uh, small podcast segments. And um, I have a couple ideas lined up. Maybe you'll see them coming up. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, worst comes to worst, it's just going to be one of these uh, contained in one of these uh, one of these intro segments for the. Is there, there's always ambulances going off uh, down the street here, and I hope everything's okay. Generally, it's a pretty safe place. I don't, I don't think people are getting hurt out here. If they are, it's might be their own fault. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, this week's episode is my friend uh, Guanza. Uh, we recorded it actually. It was one of the last days that it was really nice here, weather-wise. Uh, it was at the botanical garden, and it was after some days of. I think some days of rain, so we had this like very, very atmospheric fog, uh, uh, a subtle fog in the fall wonderland that was the botanical garden. It's just all these uh, amazing leaves. They didn't. They usually clean up the leaves that fall around here in the city, but at the botanical garden, they're in the process of doing it. And there's just everything was covered in these uh, these brown and red leaves, and it's just so beautiful. Um, Check out the Instagram for Fun Diplomacy if you want to see a picture. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy the episode.
Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Fun Boat Diplomacy Podcast. I have here today Gfansa Gfertelli. Welcome. Thanks. You want to introduce yourself to the podcast audience real quick? Yeah. Hi, my name is Gwansa. I come from uh, Georgia, the country. And um, for two weeks now, I've been in Wroclaw, Poland, to study on a Global Studies Master's program. And I'm really excited for the upcoming two years. Yeah. Do you, you already like your courses, right? Yeah. They're really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny you had to mention that it's uh, Georgia, the country, and not the state in the U.S., because I'm sure a lot of people might see that uh, the next guest this week is going to be someone from Georgia, and this... that might not be so special for some people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I have to... Had to Throughout my life, I had to mention this a lot. When you were, so you studied in the U.S., right? When you were in high school? Yeah, as an and, exchange student. And how, how often did you have to explain to people that you weren't from Georgia? Uh, I had to explain it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because also like... It's how long did that story have to go? Like, they're like, Georgia, but they don't know that that's a country. They, you have to explain the history of Georgia from then on, right? Yeah, because like you get a, a lot of questions if you say you are from Georgia. First of all, why are you exchange student from the states, one state to another? Or like some people. But you, who, you also don't sound like you're from Georgia. Yeah. So. so they thought that, like, there was one girl who thought that they somehow spoke a different language in the state of Georgia. <laughs> and this is like, why well, yeah, I was different. And how did you, when you spoke to people who didn't know about the country Georgia, how little do Americans know? Because you'd have to explain them in the context of other geographical locations. Yeah. So if you were to say Iran, maybe they wouldn't even know where that is. No, I, I found a way to uh, locate uh, the country. So it's between Russia and Turkey. So like everybody knows Russia. Sure. And everybody knows Turkey. And then somehow gets gets the idea of where it is. I would, I would actually presume that most people, most people in the U.S. don't actually know where turkey is yeah but like uh yeah that's also interesting because um in georgia like the whole like weather we usually have like pretty cold winters but like also really really hot summers and when i said that i was like from a country that was close to russia usually people would assume that it's like always so cold but uh it's also that's why i always added and turkey because turkey is like more Middle Eastern feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's the... More connected with warmer weather, I think. Yeah. But you always get this uh, interesting questions of, of Georgia, where is it? Is it in Russia or in Germany? Or is it in Russia or in Turkey? And then it's it's weird because, no, it's it's like not in Russia, not in Turkey, and not in Germany, but like it's in the country somewhere there. Do you find that people got more interested in... Like after talking to you about this, or did they just say, "Okay, well, she's from some foreign country"? Because I would imagine that some Americans would just—they would think it's interesting at first, and then they would just disregard it and not look in deeper. But I don't know if people that you met, if they looked in deeper and uh, started understanding more about the region or something. Yeah, I would not uh, say that they were like really going into this. Especially high school kids. Yeah, high school they have kids. Other shit to think about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, but uh, it's uh, it was it always amazed me that um, like this perception uh, perception for some of these kids of 
the world outside of their country was kind of interesting because they didn't know like what to expect from other countries. They had all the questions like, so you like about every day, like, do you have cars or do you have cars? <laughs> <laughs> what what's your like? <laughs> do you have city like what, what does the cities look like and like uh, not, not also about Georgia, but like I knew a lot of exchange students at that time. Uh, and they always, like, no matter whether they were from, like, Indonesia or Germany or, like, or, like, I don't know. Like, they were always getting these questions. These, like, really stupid questions, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's it's not nice to call this question stupid because, like, also, like, I, I can, guess... I can, because I'm American <laughs> and I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Yeah, but, like, it's always interesting because uh, if you met somebody uh, at that age, from my country, for example, they would never ask uh, somebody from different country if they have cars, cars. or not, you know? <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's a different perception of the world, I guess, that we live in yeah, also. No, but it's hard to imagine, I don't know, that Americans, even young Americans would imagine that that the United States might be so advanced that they're the only country with cars, something like that. <laughs> I don't know, It's that's... That's a no. Uh, that's a whole nother level of uh, of <laughs> ignorance that I don't. So how uh, can you explain a bit your experience in the U.S.? What was that all like? Or uh, was it? Yeah. So uh, I went to the to United States through the program that was actually financed by the U.S. Department of State, and they had this program for the countries of post-Soviet Union region, and it was right after the Soviet uh, Union broke up. So. I guess like the, one of the aims of this um, program was just to um, to introduce the use of this uh, post-Soviet countries to more of a Western culture and American culture in particular. And so like they give out this scholarship for um, some people. They have like different quotas for each country, and then they they divide you up in different families in different states. So you don't really get to choose oh, where you're going, but you just get this information that you're, you're going somewhere. And I went to the Washington State, really close to Seattle. Um, it was a small town called Bonnie Lake. And, um, well, this... Uh, it's It was really, for me, like going there. I was 16 when I went there. And I could say that it's really... Um, what year was this? It was in 2010. And so I could say that, like, when you when I when I arrived, even though like there was so much difference uh, difference between our countries, it was like really comfortable actually to um, like settle down, kind of find your own space there. The, uh, it was a bit harder just to uh, to get to know people better at school because even though you are like this new kid and kind of weird one because you come so from the, you are from the country that nobody has heard before like they, sometimes like they're really interested at first they ask you questions but like uh, it was a bit harder for me to actually find people who I could be like friends with who I could hang out with so I also spent a, a lot of time hanging out with other exchange students right, right. who yeah. all felt the same yeah I think uh, in the states it's not like I don't know because when I when I studied in Europe the times that I've studied in Europe, everyone's interested in everybody because they're really from different places. But in the U.S., I feel like uh, people just stick to themselves. I think it's here, like that here, too, in Poland. 
Like yeah. the Polish people, the Polish students don't really don't really fuck with us that much. Yeah. I mean, we we talk to each other only. Yeah, but we don't really have that much Polish people also in our classes. That's sure, a, that's yeah, so you're integrated into the, into yeah. the American like, school. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, over there, it's like uh, you are... It's a normal school. There were just, like, five of us who were exchange students, and it was a huge school. So What was, like, the, what was the demographic like? Was it mostly white people? It was mostly white, white yeah, people, so yeah. So, you see, if it was, like, more diverse, maybe, then yeah. people might have interacted more, but... It's, I feel like if it's a school that's predominantly one yeah, thing, yeah. then uh, then the people who are, let's say, minority students or they, or they're kind of different, then maybe they won't get included as as, as often. It's interesting because I remember it's it was really mostly white students, but like of course there were a few um, few others, and it, it was always like these um, minorities were also kind of always together. So they, you could see some people like being friends only with each other. Like I, you could, I have had that feeling in a way. But I don't know how it is when you are in this really diverse region. Oh, well, uh, my experience is mostly in the schools before university schools that were mostly white as well. And uh, yeah, uh, there was, of course, interaction between everybody but yeah, mostly yeah. these you'll see like um friendships go deep in as in in terms of racial lines yeah because you can kind of so maybe it's like a way of talking it's like a cultural background like the way that uh places that they live because like maybe imagine that like, all the white kids come from this area of of the of the of the region and then uh all the black kids are from this this other part of uh, another part of town yeah. and then yeah, so it could be something like that. But overall, I would say mostly it was a mix, but you still see that a bit. Yeah, it wasn't like, it was not uh, this exclusion of someone, but it was more like you, who you wanted to connect with, I guess. Yeah. And what were some things that you put had an impression on you about American life and and also American the American school system, the way that the American schools feel. Um, first of all, it's uh, I really liked the, some of the things in the beginning that there was like um, more choice of topics that you could study even in high school. Because for us, uh, it was never a choice. We had like 10 subjects always or 12. And it was always the same, more or less. Like from the very early years, you had like basic four subjects and subjects would add up. But none, you couldn't really choose that, oh, I want to study like geography or something and I don't want to study something else so it was really like a heaven for me because I could choose some of the topics that I was most most interested in and I had this uh, classes like also like ceramics which no. like nobody has this <laughs> in art, Georgia do you have art class in Georgia yeah we have art class but, but ceramics is really specific yeah like ceramics is what do you do with your hands like right. and like we have art class where we study about art and like painters it's true we have in the u.s we have electives yeah and i guess in other places it's more strict and yeah, yeah. structured i in, in high school my favorite I mean, it was habit forming for or not habit forming uh just uh it, it helped form what i what i'm interested in was uh was these two courses uh two courses on military history specifically and yeah. it just i loved those classes and i 
I know my whole understanding of history comes from the framing of this class of military history. Because a lot of times you'll go like, okay, let's learn about the history of the Arabs, and you'll go through all of it. But it seems very, uh, like it's like a summary. It glosses over it all. Yeah. But then when you integrate some really hard shit, like military activity, and, yeah, and integrate that into your understanding. Of of why events happen and how it shapes history, it's it's much deeper and a bit it's scarier, scarier yeah. stuff. But you don't have to. You can do like, I think, I've, I know at my university there was courses on the the history uh, history in terms of scientific achievements. Oh, wow. And so you learn about history in terms of like when like aspirin was invented or things like that instead of instead of like who was murdering who at this time. <laughs> Yeah, I had this class that also kind of I think shaped in a way also what I wanted to do in the future. Uh, I had this class called Contemporary World, World, and basically what it was, it was uh, we learned about like, like conflicts and about the issues that we are relevant right now. So about Middle East mostly, and. Uh, it's uh, it's we also went down to the history but for the specific topics we didn't really do like a world history you know when you start like from the schumers or something and go to greek history or, and i always had this this kind of history and also it's interesting because uh, whenever we had history back home uh, and whenever we have history i'm sure it's still like this it's this kind of um, um it's a Georgian history, so you learn a lot of things, how it happened, but um, it's interesting to see why this, some, uh, to see this kind of view of when this happened, why is this re relevant now, what does it cost in the contemporary world, like what problems or what, what whatever it is. And also like uh, my uh, history classes back home were always a bit nationalistic I, I could say like you could you would always learn like it uh, this kind of uh, rhetorics that uh, how uh, all these bad countries always invaded Georgia and how um, like you went through all the centuries and we had a lot of invasions throughout centuries but like you never learned that uh, that uh, this kind of relationship with the country who is concurring or has an influence on you what kind of like cultural um, impacts. impacts can they have and uh, sometimes it's not even that bad especially if this country is more advanced than you but like Georgian historians would never like never it's a say idea. that it's a victimhood yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think I mean the US also has a very nationalistic history uh, curriculum it's this is very uh, a, a huge problem of state-run schooling. That's I, I imagine in Georgia, the, the schools are run by the state, and it's uh, isn't it really creepy? I keep saying that the state is creepy, but it is. It's isn't it so it creepy is. that that uh, that the state will say, okay, everybody has it's mandatory. Everybody, all the kids need to go to school. Yeah. And we're gonna run the schools, and we're gonna teach you what happens. <laughs> and it's uh, it's like. Uh, we learn 
like we have to you, you know we we have to because you 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 went to school in the u.s we have to stand up for the pledge of allegiance yeah and it's super creepy that we where we can rec- <laughs> that we, we can recite it can you recite it do you know it yes still? of course yeah do it for us let's, let's, let's hear I it pledge allegiance to the flag of the united states of america and to the republic which stands one nation and then god indivisible for liberty and justice for all yeah see so so, like it, it's in my head yeah, if just, you wake just, up me at night like how long were you there one year so yeah, one academic year how creepy year. is that see <laughs> yeah and I, I think I was telling you about uh, what if what if uh, instead of the state a corporation was running yeah. the schools and they had let's say Walmart ran the schools and if Walmart you had to stand up and pledge allegiance to the flag of Walmart <laughs> in the morning and put your, you put you stand up put your hand over your your heart and pledge allegiance to this, the flag of Walmart and in history class you learn about all the amazing achievements of, <laughs> of all the all the CEOs of Walmart and that the CEOs of Walmart never told a lie and they even though they 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 uh, they chopped down this fucking cherry tree that never existed <laughs> it's just so creepy yeah so like that's how it is we taught we we learn about how amazing Abraham Lincoln was sure he was amazing but there's uh, you you look at his inaugural address uh, in 1860 and how he he talked about how he doesn't think that uh, black people are are on equal footing yeah. as as white people. I mean, you you have to take it from the context of history. I mean, you have people like Theodore Roosevelt, who also he thought that the U.S. and the West has a responsibility to to up, lift up these savages from these Eastern countries. Uh, but at the same time, he did a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, you have to take a little bit from both sides of uh, the historic uh, perspective but yeah isn't this 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 the problem of state-run schools yeah but and also thing is that then uh, when people are uh, are uh, learning this all over the years and then it's like harder for them to imagine like this kind of gets like a really down to your brain so you don't really understand that you have gotten all this information from who you get this information from and you don't really question this information so like we had some uh like there was these stories in georgia for example because we have some conflicts with uh, used to have or have currently also some conflicts with neighboring countries mm-hmm. and so like uh, there, there was like this story where everybody was like so mad about it because uh, they said that in an uh, in a uh, schools in this occupied uh, territories of Georgia, which is currently occupied by Russia, they're like um, they're like ethnic Ossetians or Abkhazis living. So like there was a story in Georgian society that oh my God, in schools they are teaching them that this is like this has always been Abkhazia, and then Georgi- Georgians invaded it. So like it's interesting when you look at it, but it it uh, can also be true because some of the people from of this ethnicity used to live there for centuries. Nobody invaded, like, it, it wasn't like anybody planned some of the invasions, but like it happened eventually that sometimes they took over, sometimes the Georgians took over, but like... So it's a gray area, basically. Yeah, and so like, it, it's really, uh, I was like always really interested to uh, hear this, that, but they, they could also say the same about our schools and our history books, because for them, this is true, and we are teaching something wrong, so it is so subjective. Yeah, to look true. at the history. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess I, the way I talk about the United States would be very biased in saying that we are very often the, the the imperial, the invader, which we are. That's all. That's true. 
But I guess the secondary thing, but also could be seen as the primary thing, is the uh, we could be seen as the liberator, yeah, and, or seen as the ones who bring uh, who bring uh, prosperity. So like, imagine the the perspective of an old German who was around uh, at the time of the war. Uh, we were the invader in their yeah. eyes, but just maybe one generation after. We're seen as the liberator, liberator and bringer of economic prosperity be through the Marshall Plan, the yeah. funding from the Marshall Plan. So it's both true, I guess. Um, so uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it is. And um, when these years pass by, and especially if we go on back to the really history of medieval times, for example, it, it's like almost impossible to. For example, it's it's really funny for me because in Tbilisi, in the capital of Georgia, it has always it's really interesting city. It has always been the city where all these cultures from east and west met. So you had all this uh, in a one small street. For example, you could find like uh, mosques and you can find synagogues and churches of Catholic or Orthodox or even Armenian uh, church. So like right now we have uh, about some of the churches we have this conflicts over Armenians and Georgians. They say it was always Armenian church, and the others say no, it was always Georgian church. But sometimes like you, if you learn the history, you can see that sometimes it was Armenian, but sometimes it was Georgian. Like who is true at this point? It doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it like, might be confusing to some people who don't know anything about Georgia. I know very little. You want to explain a bit uh, the history of Georgia? If you if to a complete amateur in, in history of this region, because it's important also to consider the neighboring countries in the region. Yeah. So if you want to explain a bit, uh, so, how did we get here in Georgia? <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, you can go as far back as you want. Right? Yeah, I could, I could just like to have this overview of the history of Georgia. It's situated in the uh, eastern part of Plexi. So currently it's between Russia uh, Russian Federation and on the south it has Turkish borders with Turkey, Armenia and Azerbaijan and um, it has uh, like if we go back to the history like Georgian tribes back then we are always like settled at this region even before they formed the kingdom of Georgia which was in the medieval times and um, even like from from very early time it was like at first uh, also over the, over the tribes we had this influence of the Greek cities that Greek settlements. We even had like Greek settlements in um, Georgian current Georgian territory. When was it that the Greeks arrived? It was in like. Uh, I've never heard of the Greeks ever arriving in that area. It was in fourth century BC. It was the Greeks proper, or it, it were like because there wasn't was that not part of the Persian Empire? No, like uh, I'm 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 talking about like when they had these uh, uh, cities in Greek. Um, in Greece, where they had these Greek cities who were doing a lot of uh, trade, so like they would uh, make, make settlements in different uh, okay. uh, seaside regions, and then they would like trade all the goods from that region to back to the current Greece. But back then it wasn't like really Greece, but they had like union of different c small cities, right, city states. Yeah, city states. Like yeah. Athens, Sparta. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, was no Troy was Tro Troy was also was a Greek, uh, yeah. ethnic Greek. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, but at that time they also had this Greek uh, settlement, they had uh, in the territory of current Turkey. Right, yeah. So like we had this, actually like 
not a lot of people know it, but if you know this mythology, Greek mythology, and if you know the um, media from uh, the, it's a woman who's a witch who helped uh, uh, free the golden fleece with, uh -huh. uh, yeah. what was their name, Ar Argonauts? Uh -huh. No, so like know. this golden fleece and this media was like we could say Georgian because this territory from where they took this golden fleece from the land of Kolchs, it's they were Georgian tribe. Uh -huh. So like okay. she was a like a princess of this tribe and like uh, it's really interesting like to see what Georgians have this different inf interpretation of what can this golden fleece actually represent? Like, can they be a knowledge knowledge about something? Can they be like a treasure or what? What is the golden fleece? What does it represent? Because there was no such thing as like literally a golden right. fleece. But like they were mining gold at that time, and it's interesting because one of the ways to mine a gold where uh, the river was coming, uh, it was sometimes bringing the pieces of gold. So they would lie down the fleeces of uh, sheep or, uh, and this, it would catch, uh, this wool would catch the oh. gold and then wow. they would like harvest it from there. Whoa. So like that's also one of the explanations. Seems like a, seems like an unreliable way to, yeah. to get gold, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to, to pan for gold. Yeah, yeah. but right. like, yeah, like just to uh, go through the centuries then uh, there were like some small kingdoms created from Georgian tribes. But then uh, there was uh, um, there was Arabs who came and uh, kind of put their influence over the country, which meant that nothing really changed. Besides that, if you wanted to be in a higher position in govern government at the time, you should have had uh, uh, you should you, sh you couldn't be Christian. You should be uh, Muslim. Muslim. Yeah. And then uh, there was a. Um, there was uh, Mon Mongols right. and uh, Ottomans also, and uh, Byzant Byzantine also had like. There was a one point where like Persian Empire had like eastern part of Georgia under their influence, and uh, Byzantine uh, the east one. So you, they would like just divide up countries of their influences, and then um, after that, um, then our great northern friend Russia who is currently still <laughs> that's not letting go. <laughs> they like you too much. Yes, they like us <laughs> like too much. Like our professors, our professors are talking about uh, <laughs> Poland's, how they, the, the Russian, the Russian military didn't stop occupying Poland until much later than the other countries because yeah. they like them too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and then we had the Soviet occupation. So like, uh, if after 2000, uh, 1991, we are independent well uh, go back to uh, right after this the establishment of the soviet union that was 1917 and then uh, um, when did uh, when did georgia become part of oh yeah so all? like uh, when russian empire broke down for three years we have managed to establish a georgian uh, no, i meant like right after the establishment yeah of, uh, so like they then like for three years after the uh, from like uh, be between 2000 uh, 1990 1918 and 1921 we had an independent georgia right. and in 21 uh, then the soviet red army came and occupied the whole georgia and also the i think a year later or the, the same time uh, later that year um, armenia and azerbaijan as well and uh, then like georgia became one of the just one of the uh, 
uh, republics under the Soviet Union. And and Joseph Stalin is from Georgia, yeah, he, but he is he, he's ethnically Georgian. Yeah. He, and how did he? Where did he learn about uh, all these all these things? <laughs> yeah, let's call it because it's a lot of things. But, uh, this like Soviet ideals, and then that's different from communists. So where did he learn this? Did he study somewhere? He's he's uh, Stalin was like, it is an interesting uh, person to analyze from the very beginning because Stalin was born in a very poor family in Gori, and Gori is like, it's not even the it's like fifth city in Georgia, and it was the small city in this small house that their family rented from someone, even like one room they had, like they were really poor, so like their parents wanted him to be a priest. So he was attending uh, like a seminary for as a, during a school, and then he uh, wanted to be a priest and he went to Tbilisi, to the capital of Georgia. Joseph Stalin wanted to be a priest. Yeah. <laughs> huh. To study again this religious... Uh, was he a religious person at the end? or? It is funny because that you ask that because uh, right now there are like some of the religious leaders of Orthodox Church in Georgia who think that like uh, no matter what he did like for some reasons they think that he still like he he was still like uh, he was religious at some point he had this respect towards religion but which is like I don't think it's true because so many priests were killed because of his order so many churches were like. Was this just the just the anti-religious aspect of, of of communism, or what? What was his reasoning? Was it because it, uh, it's the state or religion can undermine the state? Probably that's for, what it is. For actually. for Soviets, yeah, exactly. for Soviet Union, in general, they were atheists. Yeah. So like they thought this was like more progressive, therefore like to eliminate and everybody had to be atheists. So like if you where priests, that was like in Georgian context. I think like religious is a lot interlinked with uh, uh, this, the idea of Georgian hood in general. So I guess it it could also have this. Uh, you you should have only served the party. You couldn't have served somebody else. And also That's like what I mean is yeah. if, you're, if you believe in another uh, another authority. Yeah. And not the state. Then the state needs to yeah. uh, needs to claim its territory. You know what I mean? Just eliminate the threat. Of course. So that's what I think. Then. Also, like not to get any underground movements exactly. throughout this. So imagine if uh, there were some some like Christian militias that appeared. Yeah. I guess that's the problem right now in, uh, in in Chechnya. It's like they don't like that. Well, they they legitimately is violence, but. The, the idea is to, to, to squash the Muslim extremism as like a religious yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Things yeah. just never change. The, yeah. state, the state wanting to attack religion and uh, we can call it freedom. Freedom of religion, I guess. Yeah. But like n right now, I think uh, it's also a different side of it because you could see, for example, in my country, how state got interlinked with religion right after the so breakup of the Soviet Union because you could uh, imagine that after when there was only one um, one there was a party that was an authority and for people it was an authority like more or less even if you liked or not it was an authority so when this authority 
disappeared. Some people seeked this uh, alternative. alternative in religion. So after 90s, and especially in the early 2000s, Georgia became like super religious. Suddenly everybody started going to church. Suddenly it was a big deal. And suddenly there were so many new churches being built. And also like it became like church became really nationalistic in a way. So like the there was even this one concept in 90s, like a heavenly Georgia, like when people die in this Georgia, they go to heaven, which is like really stupid because if you believe if when there's heaven, there's like, there's not countries, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, these uh, countries are just arbitrary lines yeah. that are drawn by humans. So like, there's not such thing as heavenly Georgia, but like for this uh, time, it was really, really hard times for Georgians because there was no economy, like nothing, like country, how did it existed? I don't even know. And so like to seek this uh, help uh, in the religion that that really happened and right now what you see is that some of the politicians they uh, like especially underline their support their like respect towards the church so to get a lot of votes from the religious people creepy i'm telling you i'm telling you the state is so <laughs> creepy um and so uh describe how it was right after the the fall of the soviet, soviet Union, when 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 georgia just did it immediately become independent and then yeah and what, how was that process it was i think what we call it in georgia and this period is like black 90s because it was black because there was nothing going on absolutely there was really all like we had some conflicts in the country like civil war and conflicts with neighboring like this occupied that that's small like disputed territories yeah. yeah but it was like black literally also because we had no electricity like for years so like um so that question no, by no, that no question heat. by the uh, by the americans uh, if you guys have cars that's like a, <laughs> maybe a legitimate question <laughs> like you hardly had electricity at this time you know why <laughs> What? Because the state was selling the electricity all to the neighboring countries, so they w they were selling everything, you know. For example, they had like some amount this was of electricity. Yeah, like this was their export, like, and but like they were making like black money out of it. Right, just so, pocketing like, all the money. Yeah, <laughs> that's really creepy. Um, and so and yeah, it was really hard because people lost their jobs. The factories that. Like, uh, they always say in Georgia, like, you can say whatever you want, but like factories were functioning. It's funny, factories were functioning, people were employed. There was like really low unemployment rates in Soviet times. But like, can you imagine when it all broke down, everything stopped working and all these people, they were suddenly unemployed. So everybody, there was a big, um, um, also like uh, criminal gangs. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge issue with uh, relying on uh, central planning mm -hmm. because uh, there's no there's no inspiration for entrepreneurship yeah so um, imagine during, uh, this must be one of the biggest uh, detriments to, or damages by the by the Soviets is to eliminate anybody like starting their own business or uh, just doing something that helps the economy or without the help of the or without the dictation of the state yeah. So I don't know. Like right after the end of the Soviet Union, all that, these people are unemployed. But did people? How quick? How long did it take for people to start starting their own businesses? For example, but you're saying that they went they, them, went they went straight to doing black market things, right? 
a lot of them did, but like it's uh, it took us like I could say like even like this uh, entrepreneurs that especially really creative things that you can do, well, creative businesses you can start. It really started only in this decade, I would say. Like of course, businesses uh, all started like some out businesses started out of necessity, like um, right away, but. Like the idea that me, like once I can, for some reason, like come up with an idea and just go and start the business. I think this is like really recent yeah, for us. Uh, and also, you have to tie that to the Soviet times because of the uh, the ownership of capital. Yeah. So once the Soviets are gone, I'm, I'm sure the the Soviets, uh, like in, in other states in Georgia, they they went ahead and just extracted resources, yeah. and um, and then when they suddenly disappeared all that wealth is gone so no, even if somebody had an idea to start a business they don't have the capital yeah backing. Exactly. so that's another problem with central planning yeah but um but yeah like um oh, the the one of the big damages that the soviet system has done in the countries and i could say from georgian example is that people somehow got used like it was 70 years can you imagine like 70 years is a long time so many, some, like, a generation of my grandma, they were born and raised and got old in Soviet Union. So, like, when you, uh, when all you, like, it was, it is really hard right now for some Georgians to understand that they should be one taking care of their shit, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you can, like, sometimes they have this, like, oh, but, like, this, this broke down in my window and, like, state is not coming and fixing it, you know? But then there's this idea like why should the state come and fix your like roof or your like you know something that should belong to you like your responsibility it's your your proper like your land it's, of yeah yeah it's your uh, your domain yeah so like it's not it's not a, that's that's really actually how do I say it I guess kind of inspiring that you would say that because. Uh, the reliance on the state is really, really pernicious because you have a situation where uh, you expect someone else to do something for yeah. you. But what that really is, is you, you it's not free, you know, like the yeah. state comes and fixes your window, for example. It's really interesting you use the window example. The, the, if you have a broken window and the state comes and fixes it, it's not free. It's... it's basically what you're doing. If you make, if you give that signal to the society, is so you're saying my window broke you so you you with you with all the authority take money from somebody else and you use that money to fix my window yeah and that's uh, it's interesting because there's a have you ever heard of the broken window fallacy no it's because that's why it's really interesting that you use the the example of a window is the broken window fallacy is from this economist uh, from the 1800s friedrich bastia this mm -hmm. french economist and he said, uh, "There's the, there are people who will argue that, let's say, for example, there's a small town, and a kid comes and takes a rock mm -hmm. and throws it through a shop window. Yeah. Let's say it's like a shoe store, and uh, and you you take, you, you say, oh, that's great for the economy because now the window repairman has a job. Yeah. The window repairman can come and uh, repair this window, and it's it helps the economy actually." But the fallacy is that there's no net gain to society. The fallacy, you, you think that 
you're you're helping the economy by having this guy be employed to fix windows, but what it really is is a net loss for the society because yeah. the idea of opportunity costs, yeah. which is this shop owner could have let's say he spent a hundred dollars to fix this window. This shop owner could have invested that one hundred dollars into let's say buying a new uh, a new machine that yeah. that makes it more efficient to produce shoes if he's a shoemaker, and then. The net benefit to society would be that shoes are cheaper, yes, yeah. like marginally cheaper than what they would have been if he was just making them by hand. And then now that he spent the hundred on this on repairing this window, actually everybody uh, stands to lose from that because they have to pay more for shoes, yeah, uh, or or the same price instead of having more efficiency. And uh, and this is the idea of, or well, the the state's idea is that they can uh, they can spend money to make money. Yeah. They can. Uh, and the broken window fallacy really applies to war. So they, we all learned that World War II brought us out of the Great Depression. How the fuck can that be? How, how can it? Be, how can it be that we make things that blow up? We invest money from society to make things that just blow up. How can that be a net benefit to society? It makes no sense. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And that's, <laughs> uh, this is the line of thinking of the Soviets and the line of thinking that's. That's that's ingrained in a society that was, or a population that was raised on the idea that somebody else, this is somebody else's responsibility, always. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is this kind of uh, view of, towards the state and towards yourself gives us a lot of pain in the ass right now. Yeah. But I would say like that. Still, twenty-five uh, years has passed now since Georgia has been independent, and I would say that there's much has changed. Especially when you see younger kids, and um, I mean, this older generation complains about us a lot, but <laughs> in the end of the day, we are not that bad for our country. I would say, like, currently Georgia is no longer a post-Soviet country. It it is already like on its track of somewhere I don't know where it is, but it might not be in a perfect place, but it's definitely not in that black place anymore any longer, which is like. Really good. What, what was the situation in 2008? Was it? When yeah. The Russians came. Like, yeah. Want to explain the background to that? What happened? What your experience was? Yeah. So I'm. Um, as I said, like after this breakup of the Soviet Union, there were like two uh, pieces of land of Georgia, like big two regions, that uh, the separatist movement was really active also like it was really much supported also by Russia because uh, if you know Russia you should know that they would never like to let go of what used to be theirs so they would always like keep you unstable because this way they can have a better control of yourself so like this uh, okay, this, this land that we are like separatists so like Georgian government lost control over them and uh, by 2008 you could feel that in some of the regions actually like because people were still interacting they were going back and forth trading so like you could sense that somehow things could go towards resolving the conflict so i guess like this was not really the plan for the russian government at the time or whatever because um they uh in 2008 There was there was a con like they started the conflict started all over again, and some say it was like a, a 
fault of one country. Like some say that it was fault of Georgia because they shoot the first or something like this. I I don't really know exactly what happened because in the end, like I don't think uh, because some of the Georgians said that no, it were it was the Russians over there who were like for weeks like mobilizing the military in these territories and so on. And the ones say that, but this is like our land, so I can't, couldn't we just go? Uh, and it doesn't really matter. The thing was that um, at first the Georgians kind of like went first and took some of the lands, but then the Russian army, of course, much more stronger and mo- well, more. What were they thinking? More powerful. Yeah, naive, <laughs> I guess. Like they took much more lands than they used to have before. So like they were, you know, they started bombing some cities, and one of them was like my city. And I was there at the time with my sister. I was uh, 14 and it was a normal day in August, like 8th of August. And uh, my mom was at work. Me and my sister, we were like listening to Queen concert on YouTube. And we were like super crazy Queen fans at the time. And then one, like at, the, at one moment we could, I'm, I'm saying this because like we didn't know like something like that would happen, happen you was, know? Yeah, it wasn't like because in, it was not in like, hindsight we know what happened, but while it's happening there was no warning. Yeah, exactly. So like the, then you could hear like this boom and like you, you don't really like, I would never guess that it was a bomb somewhere in my city. I was just, just like, maybe it's a truck being really loud. I'm like, is this my neighbor jumping around? And I, I, I couldn't understand what that it happened was. happened to me once when I, uh, an earthquake happened. Because earthquakes don't happen on the east coast, but I was just on my computer, and like the ground started shaking and it was really loud, and I just thought it was a truck backing up on the street, <laughs> but then start stuff started falling. It's like, oh, oh my god! Oh shit! That's, that's a big earthquake. It was it was just very brief though. Like oh, this okay. thing started shaking and moving, and uh, and I got scared. But but yeah, if you don't expect it, you don't. The first thing you you, you think about think. isn't a war that started. Yeah. So like then my mom called like really panicked and uh, made us all go like go to a neighbor's uh, basement right now and then we were like we were like basically we fled the city for like three weeks and then we came back and it uh, the city was uh, back to Georgian territory and I mean it was never Russian territory but like they had it occupied but then they left and but they kept some of, some of the more land they used to have in the past so so they they. They entered the city and occupied it. Yeah. And then was there a negotiated settlement? Well, like, there was a war, basically. And, like, about 276 or some people died from Georgian side during this war. And then there was, like, international negotiations. Yeah. So, like, I, I remember Sarkozy, uh, French... Prime Minister, pro- yeah, president. President at the yeah. time. He was like really actively involved in this because I, I could hear, uh, we were always hearing his names. So like uh, after this, then like from 2008, uh, it's now like the result of this war is that we now no longer have uh, any contact with each other from like, on there's now a so-called border. So even people, we have a new wave of refugees and so on, but like, they used to, as I told you, they used to like trade and interaction before, but after this, like it's impossible to enter these territories anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's much. You mean over land? Yeah, like this so occupied com- land. Is there commerce between Russia and Georgia? That's maybe by shipping or. Th- no, yeah, there is, but like, uh, there's like just 
uh, these two territories you cannot enter from Georgian side unless you have a like a Russian passport or something like kind of a paper which like most of Georgians don't get this paper because they don't recognize them as yeah. uh, somebody else's land and the people who live there are they considered Russian citizens now they can get a Russian citizenship but they can also get the citizenship of the separatist regimes at Cersei oh okay so is this then uh, considered a part of a part uh, a recognized by Russia as part of Russia then no they recognize it as their own territories but they also like have but the occupied. military pre presence yeah. there but like recently I think I read or heard somewhere I'm not sure how true it is but I think now they kind of want it's as the Russian territory or something like they this. Prefer it. Yeah, I don't know, but like currently they they say that it's like South Ossetia and Abkhazia. Okay. And, uh, and when you returned home, was there? A, did you observe any damages? Yeah, or? yeah. It was like some houses were like there were like two buildings that that the bombs hit. They were all like with burned down and. Right. But like there was this kind of bomb that would uh, fall uh, and in the middle or like maybe on their way of uh, or maybe when it fall, it would explode these small chunks of uh, shrapnel. Yeah. yeah like it, the, the point is uh, to to spray basically yeah. metal pieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like if you ever go to Gori, my hometown, you can see like all the buildings, especially in the center. They're like all like uh, marks on the buildings. marks all over the place, yeah. and like windows were of course like my homes, my house's window were also broken. Wow! But from these pieces or like sounds, I guess yeah. some people died during this bombing. But like, um, it was not a massive, uh, like it was not like you could not enter the city anymore or, or no no like it was not like Dresden <laughs> or Wroclaw. Uh, <laughs> It's weird for me to imagine. It's I guess it's kind of like how the war in uh, East Ukraine was, where yes. civilians could still just walk around, and yes. we weren't. You wouldn't get uh, you wouldn't get hurt if uh, as long as you weren't in the line of fire. Yeah, exactly. Either. If you're not wearing a uniform, you're not an enemy. That's this weird to me. I guess that's the difference between these uh, these these restricted wars and and full on. Uh, Total wars where yeah, even yeah. the civilians are targets, just like in the Second no, World War, no, yeah. or, uh, or or in, in let's say maybe in Vietnam when yeah. when uh, civilians. I mean, they're they're not the the, the fighting force of the North wasn't uh, wearing uniforms all the time, so there was uh, there was you could still suspect a a civilian of being an enemy. Yeah. So it's not like that. It's hard for me to imagine because I'm imagining, let's say like. Uh, in a war, if Russia was here in, in this area right now, yeah. if Russian troops were on the streets and NATO troops were on the streets, but it, they wouldn't be targeting us because we're not, um, we're not yeah. military. It's it's so weird. If you're wearing the wrong thing, then you're you're the you're the target. Yeah, but it it was like uh, some of the civilians they stayed in the city. Like for example, my grandma was and my uncle and my and they were in the city all the time. So. They were even sheltering some of the uh, journalists, like international journalists. Yeah, so like, it was not safe to walk around, of course, because this uh, they could just take you as a um, 
take you just like out arrest of you, arrest you out of no, no reason and yeah. then god knows what but like it was still possible to survive i guess yeah. without like having this constant fear that just anybody i mean actually like it was like anything could happen but i guess they didn't really do go there yeah not a full-on war yeah uh, so, so like have... shops were still operating i guess no 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 not in the city right no because uh, that's i'm trying to imagine what that's like it's very it's, surreal it's re it's really yeah it, it is like this because you could also imagine like georgia is a really small country so like there was this full-on war like like war situation in Gori. But like Tbilisi, the capital is uh, one hour away, like 40 minutes away, and it was normal. Not normal because there was war there, but like it was like restaurants, shops, everything was operating. And it was just that people were getting money out of ATMs, and the ATM was like always oh. out of money, like all the time. Because so, they thought so. that if something happened, like, and they came here as well, we could just like run. So, like, but it was not, it was not like the whole country was already is all all of a sudden in some kind of a um yeah you know i would imagine that's how baghdad was back in the american invasion mm -hmm. like everything was still operating but it just so happens that uh, the national troops and yeah. the american troops were fighting on the streets and uh so that's like, really weird to me like you know you, you hear about the uh, yeah. suicide bombers in marketplaces so commerce is still going on people are still going to the market to buy groceries and stuff but in the background, there's a war going on. <laughs> it's really hard for me to imagine, but it's the, that's how it is. It's, you'll have American troops, and then there's uh, Iraqi troops or or or, uh, uh, or insurgents, and they're just those. It's like I guess it's like how if gangs were on the streets, mm -hmm. and uh, you just live your life, but like sometimes shit can go down. Exactly. Yeah, but that's what what it comes down to is uh, a state forces are basically they're gangs yeah like they're the big they're uh, it's uh who was it it was uh murray rothbard who's another economist he said the state is uh is nothing more than uh a legalized mafia <laughs> it's, that's what they are and they 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 somehow derive the um derive the authority to steal money from people and rough people up Say, let me check your bag. Let me check your car. Yeah. Uh, just like the mafia would, but they have some sort of legitimacy. That's funny. So yeah. that's, that's it. I'll go back to it. It's the, the state is really creepy. <laughs> that's how it is. And so since the war, how's the what's what's the situation been? Yeah, like. So like, like I don't I don't know like, we started going still, uh, to the normal phase. But the thing is that, like, uh, when, before the war, when I said that I would never imagine, like, if this noise was a bomb, like, after that, if I hear this kind of noise, first thing I think of is, like, oh, my God. <laughs> Are they back? Are they back? Damn it, Russia! You did it again? <laughs> You're, like, hiding in the basement. Yeah. Is that normal? Maybe it's just you being paranoid. Like, people don't... They hear a truck backing up. They don't feel like they need to run away. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think my mom is also like this, but I don't know if the rest of the people. <laughs> yeah, but is like. Is there a possibility? I mean, was there a possibility then? Like, it's, there's always a possibility when your neighbor is Russia. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, what what is what would Russia's uh, motive be these days? Is there something politically motivating that they would invade Russia again, or not Russia, Georgia again? 
Yeah, like uh, usually Russians' motive is, uh, as I said, to keep you close. So if if when they see you going to your own path, um, it, there was this joke uh, in my class that was a uh, that was called uh, Russian foreign policy. So like uh, for Russia, Georgia is like an ex-wife uh, who you. Don't want to be, don't want to see married to somebody else, but like always want to see they're in misery, you know. Yeah. So like, it's it's like that, you know. Yeah. You you might not have her, but you always want to have her. In, <laughs> they're like alone and misery in misery. Russia's just a creepy dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but um, thing is that like the same thing what happened with Ukraine, like this kind of like pro Western movements in the country. It's uh, this is when like uh, they then they start to get this soft power and like now there's whole rhetorics in Georgia like and part of the society that it's still better to be friends with Russia because at least they are Orthodox Christian you know. Is it would it would it not be the line of thinking to imagine that we should be closer to Russia because geographically more like a pragmatic yeah uh, but practical like, thing like if we're friends with Russia then they won't invade us again. No, exactly. yeah, because this kind of thinking got us in all this trouble. Really? Okay, so it's more of a orthodox thing, <laughs> yeah, like a religious thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like Russia ha right now That's targets strange. a lot of uh, this kind of institutes like religion, uh, religious institutes because uh, this is like this is something that you cannot argue with if you believe in it. If you are like orthodox Christian, and if you believe, if somebody tells you that, oh my God, in the West they can, they allowed like gay marriage. Oh my God! Like it's gonna happen to us if uh, we are, we became like. And I imagine that's a big concern. So like this is like society. then you say that uh, when I see Russia, they're like really Christian, like so like I conservative. Like my kids would be much safer, like morally. Which is, is like is Georgia uh, very conservative then? Um, in yeah, I would say it's conservative, yeah. and especially like. Like how Poland is. I mean, Poland is yes, pretty yes. central. It's pretty central yes. in Europe, but very conservative actually. So. And also, like uh, this Christianity, kind of plays a some role, big role, I would say, in a society. Even though sometimes people are not that they don't practice religion that actively, they still uh, underline that they're Christian. You know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming coming up on our time, so I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I hope this was not too depressing. <laughs> no, yeah, the, I'm, I, I tell this to the people a lot. If you talk to me long enough, it gets really bad. <laughs> it gets really depressing. I, in in college, when when uh, when I would be smoking with my friends, uh, they would say because I, I, when I get in my head too much, I get into the number one topic is war, <laughs> and so and so my friends would be like. Wayman, you're doing it again. <laughs> you're getting, you're getting into the numbers. You're getting into how like really, really, really dark uh, humanity could get. And uh, yeah, so uh, I'm sure people on the podcast uh, who listen to the podcast know that it gets the conversations get really, really dark sometimes. But no, it's like this is this is not so bad. It's like a, the a overview of history of what's going on in your country. So that's yeah. really cool. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you.